Good morning again, Calvary. I hope you had a Merry Christmas. During college, my identical twin brother, Darren, took a mission trip to East Asia. And before he left, we came up with this plan that he was going to buy me a knockoff North Face jacket. And we called it a North Fake jacket. Because he knew if he went over there, he could find one for like $5 or something and he'd give it to me. And so sure enough, as Darren traveled the country, he came back eventually with my North Face jacket. And we both knew it was fake. We knew it was a knockoff and that was kind of the fun of it. And I remember wearing it week after week and slowly you would begin to realize why it was a knockoff. The zippers didn't work quite right. The logo was distorted. Like if you really looked at it, you knew it wasn't right. But if you just glanced at it briefly, you would be confused or you might be bamboozled and think it was a real North Face jacket. Well, when it comes to the gospel, it's a lot more serious than just some knockoff jacket. For the gospel, we can often miss the real gospel for a fake or a phony. And the sad fact is that there are some people who might try to bamboozle you with a false gospel into thinking that it is the real gospel. And so if we're not careful, we can get bamboozled. We can get snookered by somebody into thinking that here is the real gospel when in fact it's a fake. And so the stakes are very high, very high. There is a hell to be feared and a heaven to be gained. And so we dare not embrace a false gospel, and we better be able to recognize the real one. And so with that in mind, what we need to be able to identify the true gospel versus a false gospel, that's sort of where we're driving at today. And so we'll be looking at Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 10. And as we look at that passage, I want you to see first the falsity of other gospels. Second, I want you to see our propensity to embrace false gospels. And third, I want you to see, and more than just see, but really feel the gravity of deserting the true gospel. So falsity, propensity, and gravity. That's what we'll be looking at. So with that, I'm going to pray, and then we'll look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 10. Blessed Lord Jesus, no human mind could imagine or invent the gospel. Acting in eternal grace, you are both its messenger and its message. Lived out on earth through infinite compassion, applying your life to insult, injury, and death, that we might be redeemed, ransomed, and freed. We praise you, Father, for planning the gospel. We give thanks to you, Jesus, for opening a way to the Father, and we praise you, Holy Spirit, for applying the gospel to our hearts. Our triune God, we ask that you would impress the gospel on our souls until its virtue impacts every area of our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's read Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 10. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, 
But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So first, I want you to notice the falsity of other Gospels. The falsity of other Gospels. So in order to see that these other Gospels are false, we need to know first what the true Gospel is. So what is the Gospel? The word Gospel literally means good news. So what's the good news? That Jesus saves. Amen. Jesus saves. Let's expand that. The Gospel is the good news that God saves believing sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God saves believing sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. So with that in mind, Paul actually starts unpacking the gospel a few verses earlier in Galatians. Let's look at verses 3 through 5, just real briefly, in Galatians chapter 1. Paul writes, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So the Gospel, that Paul just explains, is the good news that Jesus delivers us from our sins by giving up His life for us. That's the good news. Amen. Amen. Now that we have a handle on the true gospel, we're poised to identify false gospels. Why is that? Because I have it on good authority that federal agents don't learn to spot counterfeit money by studying the counterfeits. Maybe you've heard this before. They study genuine bills until they master the look and the feel of the real thing. And then when they see fake money, they recognize it. So now that we have the real, true gospel in our minds, let's see what Paul does next here. So Paul knew the true gospel. And that's why he spotted the false gospel that the Galatians were drifting towards so quickly. And so we read in verses 6 and 7, I am astonished. Now why is Paul astonished? He answers the question, because or that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So in Paul's day and in our day, false gospels abound. They're all over the place. And so I want to prepare you to identify Two of those culprits that you might encounter today. One false gospel is just good old-fashioned legalism. The other false gospel that we see, especially today, is what I call selfism, or the worship of self. 
So let's look at each of those false gospels. Legalism first. Michael Kruger wrote a really helpful article called What Exactly is Legalism? He says it's more, it's more complicated than you think. And so I'm drawing from his article. I recommend that article to you. And so he distinguishes three types of legalism. So first, Kruger distinguishes what he calls salvation legalism. And this is what most of us are probably familiar with. This kind of legalism says that God saves us because of our good works or because we're good people. And this is the legalism that Paul confronts in this letter to the Galatians. So, for instance, Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. The second type of legalism Kruger identifies is what he calls rules legalism. Rules legalism is when you try to add to God's word. It's when somebody tells you that you must follow some extra man-made rule that is not found in Scripture. We see this with the Pharisees who choose to leave God's commandments and hold to the traditions of men. And third, Kruger talks about what he calls a legalism of spirit. A legalism of spirit. And this kind of legalism is a lot harder to pin down because on paper, everything looks right. But it's more of an attitude or a disposition. And this kind of legalism might look like domineering leadership, overemphasizing law. It's not that law is necessarily bad, but an overemphasis on law and speaking truth without love. So there's salvation legalism, rules legalism, and legalism of spirit. And he says there's probably other ones too. So it takes a lot of different flavors. But that's the first false gospel. Now the second false gospel is what I called selfism. And selfism says that our problem is not sin. Rather, our problem is not being true to our inner feelings and deepest desires. And the way of salvation comes by identifying those feelings, then expressing those feelings, and finally making sure other people affirm us in those feelings. According to this view, hell is when you deny your feelings and aren't true to yourself. And this kind of false gospel just rages in our culture today. You'll find it all over the place. And it is a false gospel. It's hard to imagine a gospel that is more antithetical to what Jesus himself said. Jesus directly challenged this view, this view when he calls people to follow him in discipleship. So listen carefully to Mark chapter 8, verse 34 to 36. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? 
Jesus says, if you want to find who your true self is, you actually deny yourself and you follow him. So, we identify false gospels with one question. There's different versions of this question, but you could put it this way. Does this view challenge the sufficiency of Jesus? Or to put it another way, does this view challenge the idea that Jesus is enough? Because Jesus is enough. On the cross, he said, it is almost done. Finished. That's right. Amen. So legalism says that Jesus isn't enough because you need Jesus plus rule keeping or whatever it might be. Selfism says Jesus isn't enough because it says you are enough. You just need to be your true authentic self. But the gospel says that only Jesus and Jesus alone is enough. That's the point. We aren't enough, but he is, and that's the good news. That takes us to number two, our propensity. We are prone to embrace false gospels. Why is that? Because each of us has a heart that is prone to worship something else other than God. And that's what we call idolatry, worshiping the creation instead of the creator. We're prone to worship something else. And whatever that thing is, that becomes the master and we become the slave. So we see this in verse 6 and then later on in verse 10. So look at verse 6 with me again. We see Paul's shock at hearing the Galatians drifting to this false gospel. And he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Again, notice how he says that they are deserting him. He could have said, you're deserting the gospel, which would have been true. But instead he says, you are deserting God. You are abandoning him. And so when you embrace a false gospel, you end up abandoning the true God and embracing a false God instead of Christ. Now, why would the Galatians do that? Why would we do that? One reason we see from our passage is for the approval of man. We want other people to like us. We want other people to accept us. We don't want to experience the pain of their disapproval. Even the apostle Peter succumbed to this, and Paul needed to rebuke him. We see this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 through 12. But when Cephas... That's Peter, came to Antioch. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So we, like the Galatians and like Peter, are prone to worship the approval of man really to worship the creation. But Paul won't play that game. He lives for an audience of one, God himself. So we see in verse 10, look at verse 10 with me. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. 
Notice the language of the passage. He calls himself a servant or literally a slave of Christ. Well, Paul is a slave. Who's his master? Well, Jesus. Jesus is the master. He is Lord. So Calvary, for us, we need to ask, who are we serving? Who is our master? What are the false gospels that we are prone to embrace? Are we prone to worship the God of rule-keeping, of checking boxes? Are we prone to worship the God of self? I know for me, I'm prone to legalism, for sure. And when I was in college, <clears throat> this struck me afresh. I was freshman year of college. I was taking a rock climbing class, believe it or not. I had a class, and it was rock climbing. That was the class. And part of the class involved rock climbing. And so every week I'd have to do like one or two climbs and then, you know, write about it or something. And so I remember this one day I was rock climbing and I knew afterwards I had a meeting I needed to go to. It was for a Christian group I was involved with on campus. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to do my rock climbing. And then after that, I'll go to this meeting. And I completely lost track of time. And so I remember I finished the climb and I looked at the clock. I'm like, oh shoot, like I'm going to be late to this meeting. Like, I gotta leave right now. And so I remember telling the person who is doing the belay. And the person that does the belay is a person that make, makes sure you don't die. Like, they just, you know, hold on to the rope or whatever. I remember telling her, like, oh, I gotta leave right now. I'm going to be late for a meeting. And she's like, oh, what, what's the meeting for? Oh, it's for a Christian group on campus. And so as I, you know, taking off the climbing gear, I'm leaving in a hurry. She's like, don't worry. Like, it's okay. If you're late, God will forgive you. And do you know what I said in response? I'll, I'll never forget this. I can't believe I said this. I said, no, he won't. No, he won't. Can you believe that? I'm going to this Christian meeting. I'm supposed to be you know, one of the leaders in this group. And that's my answer. No, he won't. And what that shows is that my knee-jerk reaction in my heart, there's legalism. Because all of us have a heart that is prone to works righteousness, a righteousness that we try to create ourselves. And that really troubled me because I knew as soon as I said it, that's the wrong answer. Why did I say that? Because of this heart we have that's broken and sick and that is so prone to works righteousness and self-justification. The great reformer Martin Luther, he put it this way, there is no middle ground between Christian righteousness and works righteousness. There is no other alternative to Christian righteousness but works righteousness. If you do not build your confidence on the work of Christ, you must build your confidence on your own work. And in my case, I was building it on my good Christian life that I would go to these Christian things and do other Christian activities. That's what I was building it on. And that was challenged because I might be late. And I wasn't keeping the rule that I was supposed to keep, which was being on time for this meeting. So, we've seen that there is one true gospel, and there are many, many other false gospels, fake gospels. And we just saw why we're prone to embrace these false gospels. And so now we need to see and especially feel the gravity of this situation. Embracing a false gospel is a matter of life and death. 
I mentioned earlier, there is a hell to be feared and a heaven to be gained. Paul doesn't trifle with the gospel. Again, notice how Paul addresses the Galatians. If you study this passage, all the commentators, or at least most of them, will point out that in most of Paul's letters, they start almost always the same way. It's something about how he became an apostle, about God's grace and peace to them, you know, something nice. And then he'll usually say something like, you know, I thank God for you for these reasons, you know, whatever it might be. But what what is startling with Galatians is what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, God, thank you for the Galatians. And the amazing thing is Paul can give thanks even for churches that are struggling. For instance, Corinthians. If you read the letters to the Corinthians, they weren't a great church. They had division, sexual immorality, problems about spiritual gifts. They had all sorts of problems. And Paul still gives thanks for them. He has things to think of that he can thank God for. But in this case, he doesn't do that. And that should startle us and shock us. Instead, with the Galatians, because the situation is so dire, Paul goes straight for the jugular. He says in verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. My paraphrase is, what are you doing? How could you turn from Christ? And the situation is dire because it's the gospel. It's a matter of life and death. If the situation was about spiritual gifts, like with the Corinthians, it wouldn't be a dire situation. Why? Because spiritual gifts are unimportant? No, they are important. And we should know what we think about them. But it's dire because the gospel is of first importance. If we get the gospel wrong, there is no salvation, no Christianity, no hope. So Paul uses strong language to wake up the Galatians to the gravity of their situation. And sometimes, hear me very clearly, sometimes, usually not most of the time, rarely probably, but sometimes, sometimes, I'm repeating it, so you know, not all the time, but sometimes, we need to use strong language when the situation is so dire. I was reading recently about a Christian counselor who had to do that with somebody he was counseling. And so here's what he writes. He says, on this particular day, he, the man he was counseling, came in after being caught by his wife. What happened? I asked. If she would meet my needs better, this wouldn't happen, he replied. All she does is nag, and she has to have things perfect. She can't see the good things I do. I feel like I can't win, so I end up acting out. I feel like she drives me to it. Now, how do you think the counselor responded to this man? Again, mind you, he's been meeting with this man for a long time, showing him a lot of grace, a lot of patience. Maybe, you know, maybe he'll say something like, oh, I'm so sorry. That sounds really hard. Well, here's what he actually says. He says, I looked at him and said, just shut up. I don't want to hear it. I've heard this before from you, and I've worked you through it, and you've understood that blaming your wife for your behavior isn't going to fly. I've given you more patience than you've deserved on many occasions, and I'm done. 
I'm sick of the lying, deception, and blaming. And I want you to listen to yourself. You sound like a washed-out alcoholic who is one step away from his face on the pavement and no life left. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm scared for your life. You're very close to losing it. I'm frightened for you. That didn't sound like a very good counselor. And yet that was exactly what that man needed in that situation. If you keep reading, that was a turning point for that man. When it comes to the gospel, though, it's even more serious. There's even more at stake because it's eternal life and eternal death. And so Paul pulls no punches with the Galatians. Look at verses 8 and 9 and how he drives this home for them so they see the weightiness and the gravity of what they're doing. Verse 8, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. I know this is a very hard message. And we need to feel the gravity of the situation. It is a very serious thing to distort the gospel. So we need to see that ultimately we deserve God's curse. We deserve God's wrath. We deserve it. But the good news of the gospel, the true gospel, is that Jesus took the curse we deserve so we can enjoy the acceptance he deserved. Let's go forward to Galatians 3. Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus frees us from our need to have man's approval because we can have God's approval freely. There's nothing we can do to earn it. It's free because Jesus paid for it. Calvary, hold fast to Christ and his sacrifice. Let go of yourself. Let go of the rule-keeping. Embrace Christ. When you do, then we can say with Paul at the end of Galatians, chapter 6, verse 14, But far be it from me to boast in rule-keeping or to boast in myself, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Amen. Let's pray, Calvary. Our Father, we are lost, but in the gospel, you've given us a full, free, eternal salvation. Father, we need you. We need to be reminded of the gospel. We need to be reminded that we are blind, but that in Jesus, we have all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and insight we would need. We need to be reminded that we are poor, but in Christ, we discover unsearchable riches. We know that in the gospel, we realize that we are weak, 
But we learn that help is found in the one, Jesus Christ, the one who is mighty. And so, God, we thank you for this unspeakable gift, the good news of the gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.